to you from the Acts of the Apostles this morning. We're going to look from chapter 7, verse 54, to chapter 8, verse 8. Now when they had heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. That's Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So there was much joy in that city. So, before the summer sort of recess we were looking at the acts of the apostles and we started right back in chapter one and we've been looking at and journeying through looking at what it really means to be a company a cohort of God's people and As we've moved through, we've seen different things that pop up, that they saw some amazing numbers of people who were added to the Lord. Not added to the church, but added to the Lord. Thousands, 3,000 were added to the Lord. Then there's the comment of another 5,000 added to the Lord. And, And that would be only counting really men in that day and age. So there was thousands of people coming and being added to the Lord. There was this community that began to form where they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. They were forming a community. 
There was leadership in that community. They had a few ups and downs because they had a, a situation where people were being overlooked in the distribution of food and there was, a, a, there was an issue and grumbling started to happen between different people within the body of, uh, or the, 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 the cohort, the community of God's people. And so they appointed people as what is the Bible calls deacons, servants, to ensure that the distribution of food was fair. We saw the lame man at the gate beautiful. We saw how Peter and John on their way to the temple say those known words, at least within church circles, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And it says that he rose up and he walked and he went into the temple. He was walking and leaping and praising God. To all intents and purposes, things were going rather well. I don't know many 2022 pastors who wouldn't love to have been in the middle of this. Seeing people added and seeing the crowd grow and, and everything. And things were going to all intents and purposes really, really well. And because of that, they got stuck in Jerusalem. Do you remember right back in Acts chapter 1 what Jesus' command to them was? Go and wait for the Holy Spirit to be outpoured on you and then you will be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem. Did it stop there? No. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That was God's plan. To share the good news of salvation, not just with the Jews, but with the whole world. And yet we have a situation where things is, are going well. Yes, there's, there's times where they get imprisoned, and they then have prayer meetings where the place in which they were was shaken, and they were filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, and they were calling on God to display signs and wonders and they and to give them boldness to preach God's word but it was all in Jerusalem and then we come to this moment which seems barbaric most of us would without a shadow of a doubt if we've seen things on telly in the past you know, from the Afghanistan war where the reason we were going in there was, uh, you know, ultimately to change a government where stoning people, even in this day and age, was still a way of punishment. And I can remember seeing times where someone was actually, they showed where they were stoned to death. It's barbaric. And in this barbaric moment, which seems to be an end to everything, it actually became the beginning of something new, something fresh. Now, we find those sorts of things extremely difficult because if Stephen is honoring God, why didn't God honor him? Why didn't God put this bulletproof, this stoneproof canopy around him so that the stones just bounced off and just went off everywhere else? 
Because I think if, they, if he had, it would have stayed in Jerusalem. It would have become one of those things that they would talk about into the future and they would make into something super special. And what would have happened is it wouldn't have broken out. But because persecution then broke out and people were being arrested and imprisoned and people were taking their belongings and they were leaving Jerusalem and they were scattered, it says, scattered. And as they went, they preached. They preached. They made declaration about the Messiah. Things started to happen. They were pushed into a situation where God took the initiative. Now, sitting here this morning and thinking about those things, there are some difficult questions that could be asked about Stephen's death. And I've got to be honest, even if I could answer those questions, I would still have difficulty other than to say that God is sovereign and God's plan is sovereign and God will use whatever happens for his glory and his honor and to fulfill his purposes. And while sometimes they are difficult and we don't understand them, the, the, this is the first martyr in the church. His blood was spilt on the ground. And from that... Amazing things started to happen as you read, as you go throughout the rest of Scripture. The young man Saul was stood there. Notice he didn't participate in this, in Stephen's stoning. He didn't participate, he just stood there and observed. But something got under his skin. Whatever he was watching, it got under his skin and he determined that he was going to, it says he ravaged the church. That's a strong word, isn't it? Ravaged the church. Tried to rip the church apart. Tried to destroy the people of God. Not just, you know, make them look stupid or whatever, but to destroy them in entirety. That was his goal. He didn't want one person to be left in a place where Jesus could get any glory whatsoever. And yet from this man, Saul, who stood and ravaged the church, we will see later on how this man's encounter with the living God transformed his life and he became one of the most prolific, or the most prolific writer in the New Testament. Something changed in him. So we're in that place. And all that might sound really depressing. But my topic this morning is this, bringing joy to the city. Bringing joy to the city. I call this series of messages uh, the community of the king and this particular message bringing joy to the city. That little phrase at the end of those few verses in Acts 8 really struck me this week. They brought joy to the city. 
It brought joy to the city. I was reminded of Jeremiah 29, where in Jeremiah 29, the prophet writes to those in exile, and he tells them to settle down, build houses, plant gardens, eat the produce, give their sons and daughters in marriage, to increase in number where they were, to pray for the prosperity of the city to where they had been taken in exile, because when that city prospers, so do they. So do they. God has a heart to touch not just individuals, but whole communities. And we in Wells in one of those communities who God wants to touch and wants to bring joy to. And we know that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. That's what the Word of God says. That is what it meant here. When we look at these verses in, the, in Acts 8, Philip went down to Samaria. He is there. He's sharing with them the message of the Messiah. He's telling them about Jesus. He's telling them what has happened to Jesus, that he was crucified that he was buried, that he rose again from the dead, that they had been, they had had folk who had witnessed his resurrection and seen him in bodily form. It was not a figment of imagination, that there was hope. No matter what was going on, there was hope and there was the possibility of joy in every circumstance of life. And he was sharing this with the Samaritans. Now the Samaritans were really not good with Jews at all and the Jews weren't good with the Samaritans. They didn't get on at all. Because when Jeremiah was giving a letter to the exiles, the Samaritans were still dwelling in the land. And there was a lot of angst between them and they didn't get on. And so what does it mean to bring joy to the city? Well, first and foremost, bringing joy to the city means bringing the word of God to the city. A declaration of speech about the, the reality of Jesus, the reality that he was God's son. He was Emmanuel. He was God with us. He was here. He was sent by God the Father to pay the price for sin. The sin that destroys the world that we look at on the outside. The sin that is driving war. The sin that is driving greed. The sin that is driving hatred amongst people and breaking down and, and breaking down love between racial groups. Sin destroys. It only has one motivation to destroy and to ensnare and to capture and to keep in fear. And here Stephen, uh, Philip, goes to Samaria after Stephen's death and he proclaims the Christ. But he doesn't just proclaim the Christ. It says that signs and wonders followed the preaching of God's word. Evil spirits were cast out. The lame and the paralyzed were healed. There are three things that happen to bring joy to a city. The word is the first thing. We will see in a few chapters' time, Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch 
who's riding along in a chariot, reading from Scripture. And he makes this statement. Philip says to him, listen, what is it you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? And he says, well, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? The word is important. Romans 10, 9 through 14, it tells us, um, or 14 and 15 tells us that how can people hear unless someone preaches to them, shares with them the word. You see, we, we've slipped into as people of God that all we do is deeds. We think that our deeds will speak for themselves. And the truth is, there is a need for deeds. But without proclamation, deeds don't cut it just on their own. But neither does the word on its own. Because lots of people are good at talking about what it means, but then don't get involved. And the problem there is that their talk is bigger than their walk. And they need to have a walk that's bigger than their talk, so that when they talk, there is something of reality there. But people will not come through to full salvation just on deeds alone or words alone. It needs them both. And so joy is brought to this city. Casting out evil spirits, for me, it is what it says. They were casting out evil spirits, demonic spirits out of people. But it seems to me to suggest that they were dealing with the sin in people's lives, the things that had entrenched them and, and taken hold of them that they had no control over. And their lives were getting freedom. The chains which bound them were being broken. And I'm not talking about physical chains now. I'm talking about those things that can't be seen. That thought life that, can, that nobody else sees but you experience day to day when you were wrestling with those things chains were being broken and smashed and lifted off those things those things that you do not always just with our mind but the things that we do behind closed doors that no one else sees the chains were being broken they were being set free and the lame and the paralyzed being healed for me talks about meeting of physical needs of people. And people have physical needs. People are, they have a spirit. But they are physical. They're not just spirits to be harvested. They have a physical being that needs to be loved and cared for and their needs met. And then it says, great joy, great joy was in the city. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. I just want to encourage us this morning, really encourage us that, you know, I have people from time to time over the whole of my ministry will come to me and they'll say to me, Dave, I don't know what my ministry is. What's my ministry? How do I fit in? Where do I fit? 
They get caught up with the body analogy. And I'm not against, I'm not saying the body analogy isn't important. And to each one is given a manifestation for the common good. I believe that, yeah? But so often we're looking for manifestations to be within the group of people that we are. Only. I want to know where I fit in this group of people. Am I an apostle? Am I a prophet? Am I a pastor? A teacher? Am I an evangelist? Have I got the gift of tongues? Am I, do I interpret tongues? Am I a prophet? You know, do I prophesy? Have I got gifts of healing? And I'm not saying those things aren't there. But what I am saying to you is, there is something far more basic than that. You never ever have to ask that question. Because if you don't know if you're one of those things, just do what Jesus asked us to do in the first place. Be a witness. Be a witness. Talk to people about Jesus. Nobody can rob you of your personal testimony. They can laugh at you. They can call you weak. They can tell you that you're deranged in the head. That you need a checkup from the neck up. But I want to tell you, they can't steal from you your testimony. When you've met Jesus, you know you've met him. You know what he's done in your life and no one can steal that from you. Whatever they say to you. They might even reject you, give you a wide berth because, oh, that's that religious bloke. We better give the long way round because if he gets hold of you, he'll be there for ages. The reality is... We can be rejected, we can be despised, we can even be persecuted, but no one can take from you what you know, your personal story. So just share your personal story with people. Why do you follow Jesus? What's he done for you? How is your life different to what it was before? Just tell people. I'm going to ask Steve in a moment, Steve Morgan, to come and share something with you. I'm just giving you the heads up, Steve. I did ask him beforehand, so don't get worried that I'm going to be dropping on people, all right? I did ask him beforehand. So, we're called to be witnesses. And we should witness wherever we find ourselves. You know, sometimes we'll witness with a smile. Sometimes we will witness with our words. Sometimes we will witness with our deeds. But even when we're doing deeds, we'll be looking for the opportunity to speak. The other thing that brought joy to this city, when you think about it, was racial reconciliation. Because there was angst between Jew and Gentile, the fact that Philip went to Samaria to declare the Christ is amazing in and of itself. And it's said that the people in the city received God's word with joy. In Scripture it says this. It says that God takes down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, between slave and free. 
We no longer have to define ourselves in that language. I'm a Gentile, I'm a Jew, I'm a slave, I'm free, I'm this, I'm that. We don't have to define ourselves like that. We define ourselves as the children of God, wherever we come from. There is family because we're brought together. Before I get Steve out, I just want to remind you of just a couple of things. We're blessed when we come to Jesus and we know Jesus. Do you agree with that? Yeah? Well, in Genesis 12, we're privy to a conversation between God and Abram. He's not even Abraham yet, but Abram. And it says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If you believe that you are blessed because you have been brought to Christ and that you have a relationship with Jesus, your relationship with God the Father has been restored because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Principle one, you're blessed to be a blessing. And the way you can bless people is share with them Jesus. We give freely. We receive freely. Freely you have received. Freely give. We receive freely. We give free, freely. And the second principle that I've written down here was to bring joy to the city. Pure and simple. Pure and simple. We need to see where we have been placed, not as a mistake. But we are there because that's where God wants us, even when it's tough. Even when it's tough. In Matthew 16, it says this, Jesus encourages us. He, so he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Sometimes Christianity has been put forward as an, as an opportunity for, and I'll use this phrase, self-actualization. In other words, to somehow make my life it's all about my life. I want a better life. Therefore, if I come to Jesus, I'll get a better life. I'll get a better life. And yet, Jesus actually asks us to pay a price to follow him. 
It's no longer our desire, our way. It's his way. Take up your cross daily. That means dying to selfishness. Dying to those things and living for him. Jesus modeled it. Because it says in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Do you know the big difference between Acts 1 to 7 and what transpires afterwards? The church, the people who had been added to the Lord, were consumers. They became producers. Christianity is not a consumer-orientated thing. It is a producing thing. Entrust to faithful men who in turn, and women, who in turn will entrust to others. We have a responsibility. Steve, will you come and just share for a moment? And then I'm going to pray. And we'll sing final song after that. A little bit exposed up here. <laughs> uh, about five of us guys got um, together one evening this week and just had a great time, encouraged ourselves in the Lord, spoke about the Lord, discussed many things. But one of these things came up was about what do you feel in your heart, you know? And we, we shared these things. And one of the things that I shared was that I talk a lot, I can talk a lot, I know that. But I like talking about Jesus. I like sharing Jesus with people. Um, people have very, various ideas about God, and I just like to point them towards Jesus and answer some of their questions and debate with them. And um, I did it quite a bit when I was working, because it was kind of one-to-one -one relationship, locked up for 12 hours sometimes, so you couldn't get away. But since then, I retired, you know, well, I've witnessed a gen quite a lot <laughs> talking about things but I haven't actually been out and about doing that so much you know and, and I haven't actually felt the presence of the Lord for a while although I go through my devotions and I read the Bible and I come and I worship but you know it's that kind of closeness you want and I've always longed to to walk in the Holy Spirit you know not by my own sight but somehow Connect into God and be where God wants me to be at the time he wants me to be there. Uh, that to me would just be wonderful. Anyway, we shared that and Dave talked about, because um, he was there, and times he'd go out and he'd just watch and people and you just put yourself in positions perhaps where you can meet people and trust God. So I had a good think about that. And there were many encouraging things that the lad said. Um, so I put it all together that night. So the following day, the Friday, I thought, I'm going to get on my motorbike and I'm just going to put this into action. So I just, Lord, I said, I just want to be of service to you today. Um, I would love it if you would bring someone across my path. And I'm just going to go, go with it, you know. And um, <clears throat> I didn't get a particular word to go anywhere. And um, I said to Jen, and I said, I'm just going to go out on my bike 
motorcycle and just see who I meet. Now, I, I really like going out on my motorcycle because I put on this heavy gear and suddenly it's... Chuk, 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 chuk. <laughs> and I feel strong. I've got muscles. You know, I feel 50 years younger by 20. Um, but it's good, and it's getting out fresh. So I thought, right, I'll just ride a Western Supermare. And I just parked up, and I said, Lord, I've just, you know, I just got my helmet off, got my jacket off, it's quite hot. I said, Lord, would you just please bring someone? I want to share the gospel. And then this young lad came down, and he's the meter guy. And I was in the motorcycle park, so I just confirmed with him it's free. He said, yeah. And then he said, oh, he said, nice bike. Got chatting. He'd had a small motorcycle. And we just started off chatting away like that. Obviously, he had the time. And, um, and I said, okay. I said, so, a young lad like you, I could tell he was, had something about him. So, what's, what's happening with you? You don't plan to do this? No, he said, I'm going off to Sandhurst College. I'm going to be a, an engineering officer in the army. So, the conversation continued. I said, okay. And said, you know, I spoke to him about, so what's your idea of the geopolitical situation, you know, and Iraq, Iran, all things. And I linked it with the Bible. And I asked him what his worldview was. And we just got into this discussion. And effectively, I gave him the gospel. I told him about Jesus Christ. I told him how I believe the Bible would be true. Uh, the prophecies that are there. I said, I, you know, that you can see in the geopolitical situation. And it was a good conversation. And Jesus was glorified. And I pointed him towards Jesus. He did ask me a question. I won't give it to you because I don't want to put people on the spot. But he did ask me a very um, sincere. He said, look, you're a Christian. Answer me this. And I, if I was honest with you, I didn't give a very good answer. But I went came home and I researched it. Now I can answer it. <laughs> you know. Anyway, um, he had to go and see somebody else. He said, I'll come back. So he came back and we continued the conversation. And then that was it. And then I went and treated myself to a big um, box of chips, a cup of tea. And I sat there. <clears throat> Somebody I'd read somewhere, there is nothing better than being in the place that God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do. Now, each of us have different gifts. And I felt as if something had been released that I'd in my heart, I want to talk about Jesus. I'd had that opportunity. And um, there was certainly joy in my heart at that time. Now, if you remember the film Chariots of Fire and Eric Little, what he said was, when I run, I feel his presence. When I was speaking to that young man, and afterwards, particularly when I was on the chips, I felt his presence. And just, I would just encourage you, we are one family here. We're growing together. The men, we, we, some of the guys getting together, we've enjoyed that fellowship to encourage one another. Whatever God has put within us, to set it free.
It says in the Great Commission, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I remember somebody once saying to me, There is no low unless you go. In the King James, it says, Lo, I will be with you always. All right? So there's no low unless you go. So I'm going to pray for us that we might have some opportunities this week, just like Steve had, just in the everyday bit of our life, to talk about Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you for everything that you have done for us. Lord, we want to be joy carriers. We want to bring joy to the places you have placed us, whether that's our workplace, our home, our school, our university, wherever it happens to be that we are. We want to be joy bringers. And so, Father, I want to pray today that you will open up opportunities for us to talk about you to others, to talk about Jesus, the Messiah, to others, to talk about your love that sent Jesus to the cross. Father God, we want to see our city, our region, Lord, full of the joy that comes from people knowing you personally, in a personal way. So Father, will you do that? And may we share one with another real testimony and experience that same presence that Steve felt as we submit and become witnesses to you in word and in deed. Amen.